chapter 12. John chapter 12, and I really, uh, I guess we'll start at verse 27 and read to the end of the chapter. I didn't really want to read that much, but uh, I don't see how to get the flow and the context of the things that I'm going to be be saying about a few of the verses unless we read the section. So, John chapter 12 and verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came into I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There came therefore a voice out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude therefore who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The multitude therefore answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So they must have understood that this reference to being lifted up had to do with crucifixion. Anyway, they say, Who is this Son of Man? Jesus therefore said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, that darkness may not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said, <clears throat> these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment 
is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Well, may the Lord help us to glean some some helpful truths from this section of Scripture. We're told here that Christ was speaking to the multitude. It says twice, uh, verse 29, he was speaking to the multitude. Verse 34, the multitude. And uh, this was really just hours before he would be arrested and then crucified. Now this multitude had persisted in their unbelief despite hearing and seeing many things that testified of Christ, uh, especially that Jesus was the Christ. And in this section, uh, the the parts of this section that I want to examine tonight, um, we see that even after three years of ministry to the multitude, they were still saying, who, you see it at verse, uh, and of verse 34, who is this Son of Man? And Jesus doesn't go into an explanation of who he is. He goes into an explanation of their unbelief. <clears throat> Did they know who he was? No. Should they have known? Yes, they should have. There was no lack of evidence. Um, They simply would not believe. Um, So what I want to do here, just briefly, is look at some causes of their unbelief, the unbelief of the multitude. First of all, one thing we see as a cause of their unbelief was a selective faith. A selective faith. Faith that believed some, but not all, of what the Word of God said. And much unbelief is simply the result of a shallow, superficial understanding of God's Word, only embracing those sections that we like or want to take a hold of, only embracing certain truths. So their experience didn't match up with what they understood from the Word of God because they didn't understand the Word of God rightly. Um, And, of course, this is especially true if we go through the Bible and just pick out the verses that we like and that make us feel good and then ignore the rest. You'll cease to believe when difficulties and trials and things you can't understand come along simply because you didn't understand the Word of God rightly in the first place. It it doesn't fit reality because you didn't have the reality of what God had really said. You had a little part of that. Now, what they had done, they believed, they knew from the law that it said that Christ will remain forever. That was true. That was something the law, the law said, that Messiah is going to remain forever. But uh, they left behind all the verses, didn't uh, 
pick up on or didn't want to pick up on all the verses that had to do with his suffering and dying, part of uh, being lifted up. They understood that that lifted up, and this is kind of amazing to me. Maybe it's just because we don't understand the way that word, uh, what it meant to them at that time, but they understood when he said that he would be lifted up that he was going to be crucified. So that didn't fit with the idea that the Messiah will live forever. So uh, they didn't believe. They chose to ignore or disregard those sections in the Old Testament related to his suffering and death. So the point I'm making here is that we have to be careful of a selective faith, saying this part I accept, this part I don't. Um, It's really not faith at all. It's a form of unbelief. Um, Now, I will say this, that that what, what, what I'm talking about here is different than not understanding some things. There's lots in the Bible that you don't understand and that I don't understand. But that's different than unbelief. Uh, In fact, honestly admitting that we don't understand uh, something is often the way that leads to faith. But that's not what these people were doing. They were saying, we see this and you're, you're talking about being crucified, so that's not, you know, who are you? Well, he'd been explaining that over and over again through his ministry. So that's the first thing. A selective faith will keep us uh, from truly believing in Christ, in God, and it will be a cause of unbelief. The next thing, they would not admit their need of light. I think that somehow pride is always involved in unbelief. One way or another, pride and unbelief go together. And these people would not admit their need for light. Uh, Christ first tells them, you must walk in what I'm telling you and what I've shown you, and you should be walking in it right now so that the darkness does not overtake you. You see what verse 35 See, they ask him, who is this son of man? And he goes right into this thing of, of uh, their unbelief. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Of course, he's speaking of himself. Walk while you have the light. That darkness may not overtake you. It's, it's almost like a picture of, of darkness is pursuing you. And unless you're listening and heeding what I'm saying, it's going to overtake you. Of course, I think the picture he had in mind is just the, the fact of how we can walk uh, clearly and know where we're going in the daytime but as evening comes it gets darker and darker and pretty soon you can't see where you're going anymore the darkness overtakes you in night and you can't walk think of trying to find your way through a, through a, a forest or something well it's a lot easier in the day than it is at night um, so that's I think that's the point of the picture walk while you have the light that darkness may not overtake you He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. So these people were not acknowledging their need of light. And he says, you need to be 
heeding what I'm saying right now so that the darkness does not overtake you. But they did not do that. They were not heeding what he was saying. Uh, I want to read this quote from a man named Ray Stedman, uh, who uh, I read some comments in uh, a little section concerning this portion of Scripture. He said, As far as we can determine, this was the crowd's last opportunity to hear the words of Jesus. He never spoke to the multitudes again. After he had spoken these words, he hid himself. When he, when he next appears, he is with his disciples in the privacy of the upper room. This was an hour of special opportunity. The crowd had a last chance to change. Jesus tells them, walk while you have the light. When God is speaking, while his word is illuminating your mind, when you begin to see reality from God's perspective, that is a critical hour. Seize it. Do not let it pass. Act on it. Now, I think that's what he was saying. I'm telling you again, you need to heed. I've told you over and over. But they would not acknowledge their need of light. They would not acknowledge what he was saying. Now, later on, it says, and I think this is uh, emphatic here, in verse 44, Jesus cries out, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. This is not just a man telling you some things. This is God's word. You're not just believing in me, you're believing in God. And he who beholds me beholds the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, there's, there's an additional thought. He's, first of all, he talks about the darkness overtaking you. But he's, here he says you, re, you remain in darkness. In other words, you're in darkness already. It's like you're in darkness, and more darkness will overtake you unless you heed the light, unless you listen to what I'm saying and embrace it and take it into your life. Not only are you in darkness, more and more darkness will come your way. So the point is, people are in darkness. The only way out is to believe in Christ and his word. Now, when a person hears that, when you're told you're in darkness, that's a little bit hard on your ego for some people, for most people. In other words, it's saying, you're in a mess. You don't see things right. People don't like to hear that unless... You admit that you're finding yourself bumping into things all the time and hurting yourself and hurting others, then maybe that rings a bell when, you, when somebody says you're in darkness. But proud people will not own up to their present condition because their deeds are evil and they don't want to hear about that. To acknowledge the light would be to have their lives exposed. So, what we're saying here is that they would not admit their need of light, which is a cause of unbelief, brings more and more unbelief. The next thing I would point out is that 
Another cause of unbelief is that judgment does not seem to come to them immediately. Judgment does not seem to come to the unbeliever immediately. You know, there's been these people that have said, if God's real, why just strike me with lightning? Well, no judgment. They make the inference, no God. Well, this is one cause of unbelief, that judgment does not seem, I say, does not seem to come to the unbeliever immediately. They did not believe there, there was a, an attitude, a hard attitude of unbelief, and yet nothing seemed to happen to them. They just went on with life as usual. But you know what? Judgment was there right then. Something very terrible happened that they didn't realize. You see it at the end of verse 30. Uh, let's see. Well, in the middle of verse 36, these things Jesus spoke, and he departed and hid himself from them. See, judgment began right then. The guy that stands there and says, you know, if God's real, you know, let lightning come down and strike me. The fact that God doesn't do anything is a judgment. And here Christ departed he hid him he hid himself from them after three years of presenting truth to the multitudes he left them in their darkness and self-deception now God is patient we're told over and over about God's patience and long-suffering but there comes a point when he says enough one poet said it this way, There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. How and when he determines when that line is, where and when that line's drawn, I don't know. He draws it for nations and he draws it for individuals. But at this point, for these people, Christ departed and hid himself from them. And the thing is, for that person in darkness, they don't realize anything has happened. They just go on in their deception. Christ goes on to say that uh, there will be a day when the light that they shunned or suppressed or ignored will be the very thing that condemns them. You see that in verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him 
at the last day. They ignored, suppressed what God had said, what Christ had said to them. didn't seem like there was any problem. They could just go right on. But there is a big problem. Christ hid himself from them. And then the even greater problem is that that very word, those very things that Christ had been saying throughout this three years of ministry were going to come back to judge these people in the last day. I think this is an incredible saying. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. It's some amazing words concerning his word, how the importance of listening to Christ's words. Jesus came to do and to say exactly what God the Father wanted said and done. You see that in the next two verses. I did not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself sent me. The Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. In other words, he's saying, I came and delivered exactly what God wanted me to deliver to you, and this is the way of eternal life. There is no other way. I've told you these things. You must listen. He knew that his words were from God, and mankind's only hope for eternal life were in these words. And that's true for us here tonight. If we do not receive his word, we may think that nothing happens. You know, we'll go out and do tomorrow what we did yesterday. Things are happening. Things are happening. We're being more and more encompassed in darkness. And not only that, we are storing up wrath for ourselves in the day of wrath. That's what he's saying. My word, the word I spoke, is what will judge him in the last day. That last day that he's talking about will be a day of self-condemnation because of our guilty knowledge of light rejected. Now, you know, you might say, what's that, what's, what's that have to do or how does that deal with people that have never heard? He's not dealing with the people that have never heard. Uh, we're talking about people who have heard the word of Christ here. And he's saying they'll have to give an account of that on the day of judgment. They'll be self-condemned because of their rejection of light. And this is reality. This is, this is the truth. Um, if we don't believe this, we're living in a world of fantasy, you see. A, fa- a world of make-believe, a dream world of unbelief, rejecting the light that God has given in Christ. And again, many people think because there are no immediate consequences that there won't be any consequences. There are always terrible consequences to rejecting the light 
that God gives. The last point then is, as far as just a few things here that are causes of unbelief, we simply choose to believe our fantasy over Christ's revealed reality. That's just the cause of unbelief. We choose to believe our fantasy over Christ's revealed reality. The world fools us, the devil fools us, and we fool ourselves and choose to live in a dream world. I'm not saying the world is a dream. The world's very real. But our perception of it, if we reject the light that God gives, is all messed up. It's distorted. We are not perceiving reality as it really is. Instead of receiving Jesus as the revealer of things uh, as they really are, we embrace our own version of reality. And, of course, that's reinforced by the world and the devil. What it amounts to is we simply will not receive his light because if we do, it exposes our fantasy, our fantasy of goodness and greatness. Now, people won't admit that, but deep down, people think they're pretty good and they're pretty important. And Jesus comes along and exposes that as a fantasy. You're not good and you're not all that important. You're just a creature made by God. You're not the center of the universe. But we don't want to hear that. So we do not receive the light because it exposes our fantasy. That's true just in terms of humanity in general. They, um, you know, we talk about humanity like mankind's basically good. No, mankind is not basically good. That's a fantasy. Mankind is pretty great. No, we're in a mess. It's a fan- that's a fantasy. And Jesus' words expose the fantasy and people don't want it exposed. I read a a letter recently from uh, a man named Malcolm Muggeridge. This was written in 1985, just a few years before his death. Now... uh, we haven't heard too much of Malcolm Muggeridge over here in the United States, but he's pretty well known over in England because he was a, a journalist and a TV commentator, and he was well known. Uh, if you listen to Ravi Zacharias very much, uh, you'll hear him quote from Malcolm Muggeridge quite a bit. That's because he embraced Christianity very late in life, and uh, he had some pretty insightful things to say. Well, here he is. This is a letter, and he was, you you got to read it in in the light of one who had experienced prominence in the field of mass communication and just a uh, 
acknowledgement by the world as one who was wise and, and shrewd. But this is after he embraced Christianity. He said, I always come back to one point, and I don't mean that's necessarily the overwhelming point, but it is one that a person who has had my sort of life is most aware of. And here's the point. The contrast between reality and fantasy. Because it has been for me the access to reality that drew me really to commit my, myself to the Christian faith. Now, you've got to realize here he spent his whole life as one who was, you know, writing in newspapers and presenting these uh, analysis of, of uh, the social and cultural situation and, and also as a TV commentator. Here's what he says. Never before, never before in human history has there been so overwhelming a fantasy pressing in on people. When you think of the media, of advertising, of all the unreality of utopian politics, you know, this politician's got the answer. We're going to fix this. We can work it out. Utopian politics. You will think also of all the unreality of the kingdom of heaven on earth faith. That's the health and wealth people. He calls it the kingdom of heaven on earth faith. He said, all the unreality associated with that. Mix all that together. This amounts to a fantasy of extraordinary proportions. All the stuff that the media, all the advertising, all the utopian politics, all the, the false faith stuff that's out there. A fantasy of extraordinary proportions. I have been more aware of this now than ever than ever before in spending time with students on a university campus. The degree to which not just the television screen, but their very teaching, their very learning that's offered them is fantasy learning. He says the whole educational system is, is basically fantasy. Uh, of course, the more we are committed to such fantasies, the more we will pursue notions like the pursuit of happiness, then inevitably we fall into confusion, contradiction, and ultimately despair. Because we're believing a lie, you see. And Jesus came to expose that lie and to present truth. He, he gives light. And if you reject that, you go more and more into fantasy and unreality. Well... It's not our unbelieving version of reality, but his word that will judge us on the last day. What God has said, what, what Christ has told us, that's it. That's the way it is. That's reality. As you read through, especially this section from 44 down to the end, you just have a feel for the, the burden that Christ had to communicate. He knew he had exactly 
what God wanted the people, each one of us, to hear. I have this commandment from, from him. I've presented these things. His commandment is eternal life. There's no other way. This is it. This is reality. You must hear this. You must heed this. And this is what will judge you at the last day. Well, let me end then with maybe a little more positive note. When we have the light given to us by Christ, and when we believe that light, he says we become sons of light. Isn't that incredible? Back there in verse, uh, verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of light. When we respond in faith to the light, we will be enlightened. We'll become sons of light ourselves more and more and uh, will be people who can take his light to others exposing fantasy and revealing reality as sons of light ones who have embraced what Christ said and then become ones that he would actually call sons of light. Well, this, these are just a few thoughts um, kind of scattered through that section. But it is significant then that the next chapters go into just Christ talking to his disciples. That was the end of the ministry to the multitudes. He departed and hid himself from them. Well, let's pray. Father, we know that there is this point, this line between your patience and your wrath, and we don't understand where or when that line is drawn, but we don't want to be on the other side of the line. Help us, Father, as we have the light to believe in the light that we may become sons of light. Deliver us from unbelief and help us just to take your word and live by it and really live by it that we might have eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.